When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk. (laughs) The podcast for knife nerds and knife makers. Hosting the show, we've got Mareko Mamasi from Mamasi Fire Arts. We've got myself, Craig Lockwood from Shop Knives. And we've got the birthday boy. We've got Jeff, Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. And we've got a special jingle for Jeff this week. Jeff was 48 this week. He doesn't like 45, to talk about it. 45, you son of a bitch. I you know everyone's calling me saying, oh, I didn't think you were that old. Well, I'm not that old. That's hilarious. Jeez Louise. That was some song. You took it well. You Potter. took it well. Should blow him out in the potter. Good. That's good. <laughs> so what have we been up to this week? Yeah. What have we been up to this week? Uh, somebody had somebody might have had, somebody might have had some kids. Yeah, I know. Why don't oh, you kick us off, Craig? Well, what did myself, you do this man. week? Yeah, yeah. Geez. what's been going on? Moment, momentous week. We got two new apprentices, apprentices at Chop. Um, nice. My wife gave birth to twins, two little girls. So we've got Molly and Daisy. Oh, oh I love um, the name. And everybody's doing well. They're completely healthy. My wife is doing really well. And um, yeah, we're just over the moon awesome. happy. Just very, very. That's tired. awesome, man. Fantastic. So stoked for you guys. <laughs> it is awesome. It is absolutely awesome. Awesome. I bet Amy is hey, super man, excited. Hey man, hey man, can I ask? Hey, man, can I ask you a question? Sure. Can I ask you a question, Craig? Sure, go for it. How long did it take, and be honest, before you could know who was who? (sighs) 
I still struggle. I struggle. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. It's hard, well, we've right? Got a, we've got a system. So uh, Molly's always on the left and Daisy's <laughs> always on the right. I figured you'd put like a wristband on one of them or something. No, no. So, so back in the UK, we've got these, these, hosts, these TV hosts called Ant and Deck. And nobody, can, nobody knows which is which. But the only way you can tell them apart is one's on the left and one's on the right. So that, that's the approach we've taken, the Ant and Deck approach. So Molly on the left, Daisy on the right. And if somebody puts them down in the wrong way, we're pretty much screwed. Pretty much screwed. <laughs> are, you, are you telling me that there's no backup plan? Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> at, at, first, at first glance, they're, they're pretty much identical. But, you know, one's slightly heavier than the other and one's got slightly more hair. But, you know. Oh my god! It takes a trained eye to find that. Out. Love it. You better figure. You better take a sharpie and put a mark on somebody. <laughs> you just need. Gonna, a- I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. All of a sudden, you know, forty, you know, thirty years down the line, my parents figured mixed me up, and I'm Molly and she's Daisy, but I'm the Daisy and she's Molly. <laughs> I'll have to get my uh, my etching machine out and just yeah, like, yeah. You better. I, I'd be I'd be with when I wake up. I'd take a little sharpie and do a one dot on one of them and two dots on the other, <laughs> yeah. and, and and I'd make sure that we're a hundred percent clear, a hundred percent clear, like in the bottom of their feet, like in the bottom of their feet, because they're not going to put their feet in their mouth, and not yet. Well, they'll heel at least. Yeah, put the heel, one dot on one heel and two dots on the other heel, and you're squared away. And your wife, your wife will never know, and you'll and you'll be the pro because all of a sudden you'll know who's who. Oh, come on, Amy, you don't know who. That's little Bolly. What are you crazy? <laughs> you don't know. You can't even notice your own kid. That's the best parenting advice I've had all week. There you all go, week. baby. I'm with you. <laughs> what have you been up to, Jeff? Well, it's been a disastrous week, but success, successful and disastrous at the same time. Oh my god! I had uh, uh, well last week. I I was finishing up. Uh, grinding this uh, one, I say I don't want to do Damascus, and this is the reason why. I was doing this Damascus knife. It was looking good. It was thin. It was just everything about it was looking good, and I stuck it in the goddamn ferric chloride, and I pulled it out. Okay. I, I, you know what? Listen, shout out to Mareko because his his episode of uh, talking at the end of the last episode where we did uh, the etching. That was hmm. unbelievable. I actually I thinned down my water, my ferric chloride. I thinned down my ferric chloride. I got the coffee. I had so many messages thanking you for that. That was so great. Nice. And I actually was like, oh, this is perfect timing. I'm going to stick my stick my knife in the ferric. And I came out and I found an inclusion. And <laughs> it was an inclusion is like you know basically what I was explaining to someone who didn't know what an inclusion was. It was like imagine making up a ham and cheese a grilled ham and cheese sandwich. And then you put the, the bread and then the cheese and then the ham and then the cheese and then the bread. And all of a sudden you take a bite and there's a fucking pickle in there. How the, you, know, you can't really – and, and the pickle is the inclusion because you weren't expecting it to be there. And you got to take – you can't really take the whole thing apart to get the pickle out. So I had a pickle in my knife and I tried grinding it out. And I thought, all right, well, maybe I can grind it out. And then next thing you know, my spine is, is off center for my tang. And I had to just be like, all right, well, I'm not doing that anymore. So I, uh, I got bummed out. But luckily for me, I called up uh, our buddy Bob Rankin. And I made the decision. I've made the decision a long time ago. If I'm going I'm, to – I, I want to make Damascus. But if I don't make Damascus, I'm going to get it from someone I trust and I like. And mm-hmm. I just got sent a new piece of Damascus from Bob Rankin. And it's beautiful. I'm surprised at how nice, nice. it came and just how well done. He, he annealed it before he sent it. And it's just a dynamite piece. And, and um, my customer was really, you know, was surprised but super happy that I was just like 
you know, I mean, he he was surprised. And it dawned on me after a couple days later, I could have put my electro etched stencil on the inclusion and it probably would have been okay. But I just mm. decided, you know, it's not from, you know, that you can't do that. You can't, you got to stand by your shit and you have to yeah. be, what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. Right. And so now we're at, now we're at uh, starting over from scratch and everyone's, uh, you know, it was a gut check, but that was the way it is. Yeah, and that's a good choice with Bob as well because I've had some of Bob's Damascus and it's amazing. It comes really, you know, it's 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 finished really nicely. It's ready to work with. It's beautiful. I'm, beautiful. I was surprised, be honest with you, I like Bob a lot. I was mm. surprised at how nice it arrived. Like it's super. I mean, I know I, don't, I know he uses a press, but it was like clean. It was it was the whole thing was very usable. You could tell that, you know, just even up, there's not a lot of waste on the edges. It's like it was a it was like a professionally made stick of Damascus. <laughs> nice, nice. What about yourself, Moreco? What you been up to this week? I have. I've just been doing a lot of finish grinding and still doing some Damascus stuff. Uh, I got a giant blade that I'm all I'm working on. I got two going right now. One's uh, potentially getting some gold on it. That's just been kind of hanging out uh, until I get the results back from some of the sample pieces. But uh, the other one I'm working on is another new pattern. It's a similar start, uh, I guess, element as the 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 weaving pattern. But this one is a little different and. Uh, but the blade is 11 and a quarter inches long, and it's two and five eighths tall at the widest part. Jeez Louise! But have mercy. But yeah, it's a giant blade. But what, like, just like we talked about the other day on the show, is like you know that's probably outside of kind of the standards that you would want, unless the customer is comfortable with it. They that's what they're requesting, and that's exactly what's going on here. Uh, the com- uh, the customer is a professional chef. He he actually does a lot of really cool uh, Instagram videos. Uh, he's Chef Living Good on Instagram, and um, he's super talented. And he knows how to handle a knife, so he's going to take care of business with that thing. And it's it's looking really sweet. And I did some cut testing actually yesterday with it. Uh, it doesn't even have a handle on, but cutting through potatoes just to get a feel for the edge geometry and everything, and it feels mm. awesome. So, uh, wow. yeah, I'm ready nice. to move forward with this baby. Very nice. good. Nice. So in the, in the sort of downtime that I've had, I've been experimenting with handle materials. So I started doing some resin pours with some inclusions, I suppose you'd call them, in, in the resin. Um, and they're coming out really nice. So I've got, I've got a gold flake that I've been trying um, and all in preparation for, for actually putting foodstuffs into, right. the, into the handles. Um, so yeah, early days with that, but that's coming out really nice. Have, have any of you guys ever done anything like that at all? So are you are you getting ready to do a collaboration with like Goldschlager or something like that? You should reach out to them. I'm sure they'd love that. <laughs> Goldschlager, <laughs> the gold flake knife handle. Goldschlager. That would be cool. That would be cool. Um, no, I, I'm doing a collaboration with with a with a restaurant here in the UK, and what they what they've got a huge kitchen garden where they grow mm, a lot of their own vegetables. Right. So the idea is they're going to have um, knives for each season. As their uh, menu changes each season, their knives will change to reflect that yeah, as well. Yeah, that's so cool. So we're going to have se- wow. seasonal food um, cast into the handle. So it's, it's been a lot of – I've never done it before. So it's been a lot of experimenting to see what kind of resins will work, 
um, how you treat the foodstuffs first, because obviously you don't want them rotting inside. Oh, for sure. Um, so they need to be. <laughs> well, there's no air. There's no air. So is it how, I mean, how? How do they? Decay? There's no air, but it's still. They still do. They still do. So what I'm finding I'm needing to do is, is to actually stabilize the foodstuffs first. And some works a lot best, better than others. So some will really keep their color, make it really vivid, um, where some just go really dull, and you know, mm. over time that'll look even worse. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a lot of experimenting with that, and it's the kind of thing that I can do that's quiet, doesn't wake the newborns, sure. <laughs> you know. So yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that. So that that's all good. It's all good. I have a question about that stuff. The one thing I always wondered is is how do you prevent there from being air bubbles trapped behind whatever you're dropping in there? Ah, I've got a bit of a tip. So right. I've got I use um, we talked last week. I use I use mops a lot, you know, on on a bench grinder. Right. Um. And that I've I've got that on a on a trolley with wheels, so I can move that around the shop. But that vibrates like really gentle vibration. So what I do when I do the pour of resin, which I use like a silicon mold for, I leave them on this this trolley, and I turn on the grinder, so it, it'll just vibrate gently. Oh. <laughs> what that tends to do is draw draw all the bubbles out. Right. But there's plenty of ways. People use people use even use like hair dryers on yeah. them. Um, people put them in pressure cookers. There's lots of ways to do it. Right. Um, but as long as you, you're bubble free, it's it's all good. It's all good. That's what, I use a heat gun when I'm when I'm uh, when I'm doing the the epoxy and the file work. That I learned that from yes, yeah. uh, lure makers when I was doing a lot of lures. I was when lure makers do the final coat on their uh, on their lures, they use a heat gun, and then the heat gun kind of uh, heats up that epoxy so the bubbles can get you know come to the surface. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you just need to be careful with the epoxy that you're not setting it too quickly with the heat, maybe. But you know, you know what right. you're doing, obviously. Obviously. Well, we hope. <laughs> Let's hope so. We've had a lot of um, messages um, about last week's show where we talked about our grit progressions and that kind of thing, and people really liked that. Um, seeing how we work, and not that we're saying we know the best way to do things. We know the best way to do things for us may not be for everybody else. So I thought we'd extend that a bit this week. So we did grit progressions last week. So I thought we could talk about sharpening this week. I dig it. What do you think? Sounds good. Yeah, it yeah. sounds good to me. Okay. So let's start with, with Morocco. What's your method of sharpening? How are you sharpening your knives at the moment? Stones. <laughs> I finish, I finish stones. every knife on stones. I, uh, let's see. I take it to a really high, uh, really narrow edge geometry. And by the time I'm done hand sanding, uh, I actually have to bring the edge back a little bit so it's not super sharp as I go through um, through the blade etching and everything. And then I have to, and then I finally put the edge on. So it's about maybe a couple thousandths of an inch at the actual edge, the apex, before I sharpen. So when I stone sharpen, stone finish, it literally only takes about five ten minutes to sharpen the knives. Uh. I've, I've tried. Tried on stones, but I never get any joy because what I seem to, what seems to happen with me is obviously you have a straight cutting edge. Um, where I'm not doing it evenly on stones, I'm getting sort of little bumps in there, so you can see you can see light, you know, uh, under the cutting edge. So then I need to go back to the grinder and straighten that up, and it, it's just a bit of a performance for me. Um, but it, I suppose it's something that would just come with practice. Yeah, it's definitely one of the things that kind of just comes with practice for sure. And you and you learn like mm. how you put pressure different areas of the blade. It'll focus more work on those different areas. I, the reason the reason I really like stone uh, is because I, I I like how slowly it removes the material. 
So if things kind of do start to get out of whack, and I check it pretty frequently, uh, I can address it uh, either on the stone or I can go fix it on a machine and then come back and do more work on the stone. Um, but when I first started out, sharpening on a machine was just not in the cards for me because I just didn't know how to do it. I know how to do it now. Um, but it was it was hard to maintain a consistent angle and pressure against the belt. And... Um, so yeah, so I like the stones because they're a good way to sharpen and not remove too much material too fast. And what sort yeah. of grits would you go for there? Uh, I have a one thousand a combination stone. It's a King one thousand two or one thousand six thousand combination stone, uh, and I also have what's called a Nagura stone, and it's just this tiny little stone that you use on the six thousand grit side that helps create kind of a mud or slurry that acts as an intermediate abrasive that helps with refining the edge and polishing that uh, primary cutting bevel. That's awesome. What about yourself, Jeff? Well, you know, it's funny because I, I, I used to do, um, I used to use stones when I was sharpening my knives before I started making knives. And I really kind of felt like what I want to send in my knives, I want there to be almost, I like the idea of it being, have a mirror finish. And I, when I was using stones, a lot of times I'll hold it in a position and all of a sudden I'll get some scratches in the, in the, uh, in the face. So I, I, if it was a too tight of an angle. So what I started to do is I really got now, and I, even to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly refining, refining the geometry. So I got one of these arms. It's just a short arm attachment. I think it's called a multi-tool and attaches to like a uh, like a grinder, a regular, you know, the kind of grinder you, oh, you know. Oh, I know, yes, yeah. And then I get these belts and I actually changed, I changed a little bit. I get these belts, I think they're like two by 36 belts and I go uh, from 220 to 400 to 800. And then I just, by the time you got your, your, and then I, every time I do a swipe, I put it in the water to make sure it's cool and I don't, I don't overheat the edge. But then afterwards, I go to a, a buffer and I put a mirror finish on the on the edge. And the better – and it's very – I mean it's different from – obviously different from what Mareko doing. But, you know, the closer your geometry is, the faster it takes to, to, to do the – to put the edge on. And, and like you were saying before about the daylight, I've been there where, you know, like maybe you don't hit the heel, the heel doesn't go get as much pressure as the first half an inch. Mm -hmm. And then you end up with like a little bit of daylight in that, in that, uh, and it's, it is practice, but the, the, the better the geometry is, um, the better my results are. And I, you know, I also, I also put a lot more radius in my, uh, in the angles of my knife. So, uh, when I'm, I don't, I don't, my edges don't, turn out to be too flat like i don't have a very flat radius in my knives so yeah. i don't really worry i don't really get that as much does that make sense yeah, no, yeah. completely and i completely. like i also like sending a knife that's you know has a mirror finish on the edge and i think that there's you know it, the performance is always great i always test it and everything like that but i always like that idea that it looks like it's never been used and mm. i've just even when i was you know, cooking and I was sharpening my knives. It just looked the scratch pattern in the blade to me always looked too. And it's just not as nice as I would. And then all of a sudden, I move a little bit, and then I have to re hand sand the face because I put a little thing in it. But um, I am, but, but real quick, is I am getting my I I do fool around with the stones a lot. Like I get back, I have a I'm redoing the stones because I I want to get back into doing the stones and less mirror finish. I just got to get better at it. So I'm still using a a Tomac, which is the the sharpening machine. Um, so, you know, it's, 
it's it's just a slow process. So it's good you get nice, you know, you know, repeatable edges, all that kind of thing. But it is a slow process. So I think the I'm, I'm using the Japanese Waterstone on that, which I think is a four or five thousand grit. It finishes up with. Um, so it gives me a nice, sharp, clean edge. But yeah, I've, I've been looking for ways personally to to speed things up a little bit. Yeah. So it's just good to know that, you know, the three of us are doing three different ways. They work for us. Um, I, th- I think the main thing is don't go out and buy one of those shitty, uh, <laughs> you know, shopping channel sharpening machines that will oh, just yeah. tear a blade to pieces. That's like the worst thing you can do for yeah. sure. Yeah. And another tip for the approach that Jeff is using that I've played with, um, the scary thing, especially with doing Damascus and sharpening on a machine, is accidentally scuffing the face. Yeah. Uh, I've recently um, discovered, and I don't know why I never thought about this before, but throw a layer of painter's tape onto the the blade face. Oh. And the machine, no, no, well, not on the platen. Well, that'll help probably too, but on the actual blade. And when you do that first pass, it cuts right through the tape and starts setting that bevel. And that way your blade is completely uh, protected, at least from minor uh, potential scuffs or anything like that. But then when you go to polish, the the polishing wheel doesn't affect the blade. So you can keep that mirror finish edge without washing out your Damascus. Yo, I mm. love that tip. I love that tip. Yeah, baby. I you know I'm here for you. I, that's a you are <laughs> fucking here for me. That's a fucking strong move because then all of a sudden you're also not getting those uh, those little weird hairs that are kind of slapping in when you're buffing your you're not getting those weird hairs making a slapping noise on your well, slapping noise but there you're not getting those ah fuck it who cares I love that tip I tell you what though I did put um, I did put painters tape on the platen of my arm. And that gives me a little bit more. Uh, it, it, it it stops the chatter of the belt, you know, like uh, absolutely. And that's been huge for me. Yeah, wow. mask them both. Mask mask them both. Love that. I, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that the next knife I make. I swear to God, let me get that two inch blue tape. Yeah, even with a mono steel blade, maybe for some reason you've darkened it, like the 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 Cubans. They had kind of a patina on them. Yeah, but if you put that tape on there, you can do the sharpening. And uh, and polish up that edge and not mess with the faces I at all. I, I, you know, the funny thing is, I've never really uh, hit the knife on the on the belt. I always hit the knife when I'm using a sharpening stone because what happens is I'm always pushing mm. down far harder on the the by the spine edge. So I always end up with, especially towards the tip, and it might have be the di- right. the, the, the direction I'm putting on the stones. But I had to, I did that recently. <laughs> And I totally put up, you know, a little couple scratches, and I had to like uh, recent hand sand mm. the knife. But I hear you, man. That's a great idea. For sure, love that idea. Yeah. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? The first one comes from a friend of mine uh, who's a, a just awesome knife maker, Isaiah Schroeder of Schroeder Knife Works. The dude is one of the him. He is one of the highlights of the Midwest. He says, "How do you guys handle your orders and manager manage customers' expectations?" of when they're going. So how do you deal with your customers in general and kind of keep them abreast of the situation? This is the ongoing saga of how bad Craig's admin is. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very bad at it. And again, I talk about this every week. I need to get so much better. I need a system. I need a system. I need, I need an assistant and a system. <laughs> yeah. It's a full-time but, um, job. It it is difficult. It is difficult because at the same time you're obviously you know you're fielding questions coming in about future jobs as well, um, and you know for 
personally myself, my schedule has just been turned upside down the last sort of two, three months anyway. Right. Um, right. But going forward, I need, I need some sort of system. So if anybody's got a system, let me know. Yeah, for me personally, I actually, you know, there's definitely room for improvement on my end as well. Um, I, I, I feel like I've been getting better, especially when I'm uh, on a customer's build. I'm doing a, a better job of keeping in touch with them. But, you know, keeping in touch with the, the next, whatever, couple months people maybe is probably a good idea just to start getting people's, uh, I guess, get them thinking about what they want in their build because since they originally made their order and where we are now, so much has changed. So many new patterns have been made. Um, so I need to just touch base with them. And I, I'm not, I don't do a great job about that. And I'm sorry if anybody's listening. I'm learning. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm not listening. Um, but some <laughs> might be your customers aren't listening to this show, <laughs> but, uh, but Jeff, I think I really admire Jeff's system that he's got. And he talked about it last week, but you know, he's got a business partner and I'll let him. Actually well, we, take it we've there, actually gone. It's a good move. Well, the, what, it, you know, we, we have a couple of <laughs> questions like this and we'll be touching on, on some, you know, similar things. One thing is, is when I was, when I was a sculptor, and I once, I'll tell this story, it's gonna, I try to be quick, but uh, this woman came up to me and she says, how much would it be to make a, a, a five-foot steel heron? And I gave her a number. It was a high number, and I was just like ballparking it. She cut me a check right there. And I was like, fr- I was like, this is amazing, and this is terrible. And I had a lot of work to do, and I thought, well, I hope she doesn't think I'm going to drop everything and start her sculpture. So I said, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to send her emails and pictures of the shop and how I design things and this is the welder and this is the grinder and this is the this and this is that and I would I felt like I was keeping her at bay in regards to I'm thinking about you and what mm-hmm. happened was is after you know however months many months it was and I was giving her little you know uh, email quick emails and pictures and you know WI you know work in progress when I delivered the sculpture she said to me you know I love the sculpture but I love getting my emails because I felt like I was there with you in the shop so when I started to do the knives, I felt I started to do, you know what, this is the same thing. Because what you don't want is you don't want to get those emails saying, hey, man, where's my knife? Because in your mind, you think they're saying, hey, where's my knife? But really what they're, being, what they're saying is, I'm really excited. Where's my knife? So what I try to do is be very customer service oriented in the sense of like, I don't like to be on the back foot of, with my customers because I don't want to get those where's my knife emails. It's annoying. And, and you, I, I'm a neurotic human being anyway, and I want to get some sleep. You know, so, <laughs> so that's number one. So we do that a lot, and it's been great. But recently, well, we, my partner Tony and I changed things up, and it was a little um, – so we're now going to do something similar to what Jared Thatcher was talking about where we're going to be – we have a giant calendar, and we're going to take – orders and deposits, and then we're going to say, we're starting your build on this particular date. And we're, it's, it's going to stop people from every month saying, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? Which, hmm. you know, but it's going to say, all right, January, or, you know, July 31st, that's when your batch is starting. And then that kind of gives people some, um, you know, idea of what's going to happen. And the other thing is I want to start doing more content stuff in the meantime. So between now and July, I want to start to be able to send little emails saying, hey, you know what, here's what we've been up to. And this is, you know, to kind of allow people to know that not you're kissing their ass, but you're letting them know that you're thinking of them. And ultimately, that's yeah. what customer service is. People want to be acknowledged. And I've been noticing a lot more that it's not like you just 
people want to know that you're actually thinking about them. You're not reacting to what they're saying. You're letting them know that you're thinking about them. And that has become a that's become a giant uh, relief in terms of this business because we don't get angry emails. We don't get angry customers. We don't get like frustrated. We don't get people saying, I need my money back because I, I, don't, I don't hear from you. Where are you? You don't answer my emails. We don't get that because it's a huge part of the business. The problem is, is I can't do it myself. Without Tony, you know, it would be very, very hard for me. Hmm. So I, I think that it's really – managing customer expectations is a lot more important than people realize. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about it now. I mean, I say I'm terrible at it. But I suppose it doesn't have to be so hard. I could just spend a day, you know, making a bunch of almost templated emails and they're, they're sent out at various stages after an order. I suppose it doesn't have to be that difficult. Right. But well, that's what it's I. It's just something I need to put time aside to do. That's what one of the things, especially when I get a, a when I'm working on someone's order, I have templated messages explaining what heat treatment is, explaining, hmm. and all I do is I'll take uh, I'll take a sharpie, I'll put their name on their knife based on where they are, I'll snap a picture of it, and I'll insert the picture, and I'll explain this is why I drill the holes, this is why I do the file work, and then they'll see a picture of their knife with their customer's name on it, and when they read it, they're like, "Holy shit, that's that's my knife," you know. So hmm. it it, it it does bide you time, so to speak. But really, what you're doing is you're letting people know that this is an experience, and that you're 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 including them in on it. Yeah. But you're not yeah. reacting. You're not reacting because when you start reacting, that's when shit goes south. And you ha- and there's going to be another question down the line where it's going to be we're going to address. It's going to be kind of on the similar side. But there, it sucks to have to be always reacting. And what you can do is you can create an experience that people are. It's not like just going to buy a knife. Like you're part mm-hmm. of you're part of the shop, and it becomes it becomes more interesting for people. You'd be surprised; these people don't know anything. You know this. We all know cooks who know nothing about knives. You know, <laughs> and and uh, nothing, literally nothing. And they it's like true. to be involved. They think they think that you just get a piece of rebar and put an edge on it and slap some electric tape, and that's how you make a knife. It's not the case. That's my recipe. That's your. I like your recipe. That you put a little blue tape on it to sharpen it, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> All right. This one comes from Acre ninety four. What do y'all think of ABS? And is it worth it to get your journeyman slash master smith certi- certification? Now, just for some of you, the ABS. I'm sure most people know ABS is the American Bladesmith Society. What do you think of that? Well, for me, it probably isn't relevant. I'm here in Europe, and I don't think we have an alternative to that. I don't think there's a, a, a standard that you can reach. Right. They're, they're international, um, though. Some of the best makers yeah, in the are, world are part of the ABS. Yeah. Really? Oh, right. I didn't yeah, know. Super, I didn't know. Super international, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know. But uh, I suppose it's a good thing. It, it proves they are at a, a certain level of competence. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's probably nothing that I'd go down the road off because I know it takes a lot of time and you know very specific what you need to be doing as well so it's probably not for me but I think it's a good thing I think you think I think one of the things that have been a bit a little bit of a turnoff for me is uh kind of the politics and the kind of good old boyism of it Hmm. uh that definitely happens but I think it something uh an organization like them has a place where it's it's trying to create a standard by which um People, uh, customers especially, or collectors, um, can say, this person has reached a certain standard of quality of work. I can trust that when I'm buying or investing in this, 
that that work is at least of that standard or higher. Um, I think more and more, um, it's as more people take up knife making and just make stuff that looks good but doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily of good quality. I think it's get def definitely going to have more of a place. But they, I think, <laughs> I think there's a bit of work to do on the side of the organization to step into 2019 um, because it, it's, there's just a lot that is still stuck in 1976 when it originally started. And, um, and there could definitely be some improvement. I, I myself am a member. I have been for the last five years now and I'm still, I'm still on the fence though, as to whether I'm going to test for journeyman Smith uh, and master Smith ratings or not. Um, and more and more Smiths who have master Smith ratings, they don't say, you know, come on, be cool like us. They're like, you know, it's a personal thing. They talk about it as right. being more of a personal goal and a personal achievement that they do for themselves um, because it did have a place as kind of a selling point. But nowadays, um, that's not necessarily as relevant because uh, I don't have a Master Smith rating, um, but I sell a lot of my work for the same price range. But that's because the proof is kind of the proof is in you the get pudding. That <laughs> That's it, baby. The you, get that, is, you get that cabbage, you get that Master Smith cabbage. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding, though, because you can talk a big game and make stuff look all polished out and nice, but then somebody uses it and it's a piece of shit. They're going to say so, and that's the big thing. Is like people can be suit, have an opportunity to be immensely vocal, and that's why I've always said, you know, and I, and that's why I applaud you, uh, Jeff, for not sending that knife out because. Your reputation is on the line every time you send something out. And if something negative comes back, and it, depending on who's saying it, then it could be, it could really screw you over. And so always try to put out your best work. And obviously, like I have my limitations, there's lots of stuff I don't know how to do or can't do. Um, so I just don't even try to play and say, oh, I could do that. But there are some things that I hope to learn to do, and I'm getting off track. But, anyways, um, basically, you know. I think it has a place, but I think it needs to redefine its position uh, kind of in our modern day uh, approach mm -hmm. to how uh, these kind of organizations work. Um, because they, they could, should be like, they, they have a big name, and, and, but they should really be a, a, a forefront and the leader in helping with education and stuff. And they have some classes around the country, but they're fucking expensive. Like they're almost two thousand dollars to take a class, and you know what? Like it, when part of your mission is to continue on the the education and the and the history, and the skills of this craft, you know, I don't know. Hmm. I, you know what? I yeah. I totally appreciate everything you've said, and I I agree with a lot of it, and I agree with um, all your all the I agree with everything you said for the most part. My personal opinion about the ABS is I first heard about the ABS. I was taking a class with Aaron Wilburn, and he says you should join the ABS. And I joined the ABS not thinking that I was going to test and not thinking that it really didn't make a difference. But I really enjoyed the idea of supporting an organization that's at the forefront of this, you know, this, this community. So I right. could be an a apprentice, apprentice smith with them for 20, 30 years. And I, I, what I want to do is I want to support an organization – 
really the most visual organization in regards to this community, and I think that's important. In regards to what you said about uh, joining the 21st century, if you really think about the way s- social media is, it's only been the last, really, 10 years, not even 10 years, like six years, six years where social media has really kind of changed the way that we see these things. And I yeah. think there's going to have to be a changing of the guard in regards to these organizations. They're just going to get younger. Uh, they're just going to get, you know, even, you know, it's public relations companies are having to change because all of a sudden, you know, organizations are realizing that these public relations, they're, they're outdated. The concepts are all outdated. So what's, I think what's going to naturally progress is somebody's going to, you know, uh, say we, we really need to kind of up our system and change the way we do things. And I think that's generally going to happen. Um, my opinion is, is I'm going to be supportive of them. I'm going to be supportive of Abana. I'm going to be supportive of all the organizations that I'm involved in because actually, you know what? I'm not supportive of a ban. I stopped my membership of a banner because I, I had no idea what the hell they were doing. But but I think that I think that with the ABS, I'll I'll I like I like what they do. I like a lot of the master smiths. I like the I like the fact that there's an organization that's trying to you know keep this thing alive, and and that's good enough for me, whether or not I test or not. Right. Fair enough. Well, and I just. I love the interrupting. Go ahead, Marekko. <laughs> just one last thing to add on to it. It's just to really stand by their mission statement. They really could be, uh, you know, helping to curate not only content and visually through like Instagram, but uh, educational stuff that makers are doing and posting up now all the time, all over the place. Um, and just to really help bolster that mission statement of continuing uh, the knowledge of the craft. And uh, there, yeah, there's just, and like we've said, already well, they've also times. just, they've just made some changes. I know that they're <clears throat> starting to sell. I, I know that they're starting to advertise and sell knives through their organization. I believe, I think that they are making changes. Yeah. You know, if you buy it, you know, you have to still buy DVDs from them for God's sakes. I think that we're going to, I think that there's some growth that's going to happen. And I yeah. think that, you know, I, I think unfortunately you're going to have to, you know, not unfortunately, I think that things are going to happen. I think they're going to realize they're starting yeah. to do more. They just did in Blade Magazine. They started to do more Kitchen Knife Guys. I think that it's going to be something, it's becoming undeniable that knife makers now are much younger and they're going to want, we don't, a lot of guys don't need the ABS. And I think the ABS is going to realize that they need to kind of like, you know, they're going to bring up their game. And I think it's a natural progression. And I think it's going to happen. Yeah. So that's the answer for that. Agreed. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? All right. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? This comes from Gunham, Gunhan Avni. Gunhan Avni. (laughs) It's a good name. Gunhan Avni. All right. So this is going to be, this is going to be good. How can I heat treat 1075 carbon steel with a blowtorch without fucking up the whole knife? Blowtorch. <laughs> blowtorch. You know what? Number one, don't call it a blowtorch. That's for like the army movies. There's no blow. You're talking about a settling torch or a, or a propane torch, but it ain't a blowtorch. So go ahead. He wants to know because I know this is going to be specifically for uh, this is some this is some ABS shit right here. Speaking of ABS, that's, this is a Morocco question. How do you heat treat a knife with a with a torch? Carefully, yeah, uh, basically. Sure. Yeah. Uh, if yeah, geez, I, my first thought was like uh, one of those like field burning torches, propane torches, not field, but like grass and stuff. Anyways. Um, yeah, carefully is key. If you can figure out a way to kind of isolate the heat, uh, a little bit, 
either even just with like some old fireplace bricks or something like that that will help contain the heat in a way uh, I would advise having uh, an opening on both sides if you do do that that way I think you, he's just holding I think he's just holding a torch and waving a uh, waving a torch <laughs> over his knife I don't think he's even planning on I don't right. think he's gonna make a make a pit and stick a torch in the pit well and it also kind of depends yeah, yeah, yeah. It also kind of depends on the length of the knife. Like, if you're doing just a hunter or anything, I guess I would say sub eight inches, eight or eight or less, you can easily do it, even with like a map gas torch. Uh, but you have to be careful to make sure to keep bobbing that torch tip back and forth from tip to heel, tip to heel, tip to heel, and in between uh, to make sure that you even heating everything up evenly. Because the reason you want it all even is when you go to quench. If it's not all even, you're going to have a hard tip and a hard heel, but a soft belly. And, like, you, you got to yeah, make baby. sure that you get everything. Yeah, hard tip. You got to keep that tip hard. You got to keep that tip hard, <laughs> so. baby. And don't fucking use it. You know, and that's the other thing is, like, and when, I, when I read this, I thought, the guy's getting a settling torch. This The difference between acetylene cutting torches and rosebuds is ginormous. Mm. A, a, yeah. a cutting torch, you know, you have different orifices, baby, and you, you can, you know, you have the... All right, and then you have the uh, set, you know the the oxygen trigger that like for cutting, you those those tips are generally a lot more. They're more for that. They're not meant for really heating up big areas, so you're going to be having a hotter heat at a smaller uh, uh, tip. What you want is if you're going to use a torch, get a rosebud or like like Mareko was saying, get like a map gas so they have that kind of a bigger uh, torch tip because you'll have something a little bit more even. But if you use like a cutting torch. Man, you're gonna you're gonna end up with some cheese with some Swiss cheese holes. Hmm. And I suppose he's going for a you know a forgiving steel as well, which is you know you don't have. To, mm, yeah, I mean, and as long as you know he's not trying to heat the whole blade, that you know he realizes it needs to be an edge quench more than anything else. You know, I suppose it's possible. I, it's a it's ultimately it's yeah. a huge mistake. <laughs> don't, you know, I know that I know the guy I know that Jerry Fisk. Jerry Fisk, uh, he treats with the torch. He does it on, but he's like a master bladesmith. You know, I think a lot of guys, there are tricks and tips that you can figure it out. And I mean, For I sure. wouldn't. It's practice. I wouldn't do it. it it's definitely it's doable, doable, but it definitely needs, takes a, it takes you practice. You can end up with some bananas, but that's fine. You could end up with some bananas. You could end up with some overheated edges, trying to keep everything, the belly even while you're overheating the tip and the heel, like. It, it, it's it's challenging. If you can, don't use a torch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think that's the next sort of level then, isn't it? So if you're starting to take it seriously, and this isn't that you want to be doing maybe as, as a career or to start selling knives on the side, um, you need need some sort of investment. Um, you know, and it's obvious I'm going to say you're going to need an even heat, but you do. But you need that minimum investment really to see your quality of your knives go, go up exponentially. Yeah. A, a kiln is a complete... Game changer, yeah. it totally changed it. Everything for me, a hundred percent. And that's one less thing you're. It's one less thing you're guessing at. It's one less thing you're fussing with. You can kind of set it and don't forget it because you don't want to cook it. But you know, you can time everything out and you can go work on other stuff while things are heating up or while the the blades temper. No, know. you're absolutely right. It just it makes a huge Giant. difference. It makes such a difference, especially in productivity. Yeah, it's, you're killing the doubt. You're killing the doubt. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> <laughs> this comes from Damien from Loon Knifeworks. 
How do you deal with a scenario when someone asks you to make a custom blade and sends you photos of another maker's work as reference? <laughs> this happens a lot. <laughs> I've had that. I've had yeah, that I, with somebody. I get those too. And I literally send them on to that person. You know, I, I, sure. It's... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's ripping somebody off. If, if it's an exact design and they want you to make to those specs, you're ripping somebody off. So I think the only decent thing you can do is <clears throat> is, is turn them on to that person and say, well, do you realise who made this knife? And that, you know, they can do a very good job and, and turn them on to that person. Yep. That's what I've always done. Yeah. <laughs> Just say, go ahead. You, that looks like a so-and-so knife. You should go talk to them. Well, I, I will say that I have had that happen, and what I generally say is I don't really, you know, obviously what you said, I, that's his guy. I can make something within, you know, my variation of something similar. Like if you wanted to, you know, like I just got sent a picture of somebody's color handle, and, I, you know, I, we can talk, we can discuss it, but I generally say if you want one of my knives, it's going to, you know, it's going to be my knife. But I understand what you're looking for, and I can kind of take some, I can right. take some, like, hints and some, maybe some color choices, or you like the style of, you know, we, we can kind of make my, you know, I don't say my variation, but... You know, I can put them in the into one of my knives that'll be comparable, but I won't. But I will definitely be in the same situation. It, it becomes, you know, and the, the fun. You know, you know who gets this worse than we do is tattoo artists. Like, what happens is if you're gonna get if you're oh gonna go God. get a tattoo, and, <laughs> yeah. and I have I have tons of tattoos, and I've done this, and my friend does all my tattoos, and I'm like, hey man, I like this, I like this, and he's just like, well, why don't you fucking go to that guy? And no one ever learns. Everyone who gets a tattoo, they do that. They bring in somebody's shit, and, and then the tattoo artist like rolls their eyes and be like, well, I, that's not what I, that's that's this guy's. I don't, I don't do, I don't do that stuff. Go to someone else. So that's the answer. Go to someone else. Hey man, can I ask you a question? Okay, this is from Tynes Moleg. He says, how do you tell a customer their, their knife is delayed without seeming like a massive asshole? So you're, 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 you're in the weeds. How do, you make it, how do you make it sound like you're not you know, out of control? Yeah, I suppose going back to the earlier question, I think if you've got things all squared away and your, you know, your admin's on top of things, um, that's a, that's an easy thing to do because you you know they know the situation they know where they are in the yeah. belt and that kind of thing. Um, I'm saying this as if you know <laughs> I'm the authority on this. Believe me, I'm the worst. Um, but I suppose if if you are organised in such a way that we talked about earlier, this would be a lot easier. One hundred percent agree. Yeah, if you're already doing all that work to keep up with them, and then something goes sideways, there. I mean, I've definitely. I mean, just re even recently, but all the time, stuff gets delayed either because a pattern didn't come out or something else went wrong with a different build. And somebody else, I told somebody, oh, I'm starting your build next week. And then shit hits the fan. And you just got to be, I, I found that just being as transparent as possible, uh, hopefully people completely understand. And I, as long as I've done my best to be as transparent with them, people have been very forgiving, very understanding. They understand that it's a handmade thing. Shit happens because I'm not just working on stuff for them. I'm working on stuff for other people. Um, and ultimately, if somebody is not happy with it, then I say, okay, like I completely understand that you're not stoked on what's happening. I'm happy to give you a refund mm. and just move on. Yeah, but And I suppose that's something similar to if something goes wrong when you're making the knife. And I've had that recently too where – Working on Absolutely. a knife, the customer's aware of it, and I make a mistake, and the knife is not going to be perfect. So then you need to go back to them and say, hey, look, I've been, 
in this case, this was a set of knives. So one of the knives was finished and the second knife, just towards the end, I screwed up. So, you know, they're more than happy for to be told then that your knife isn't quite ready, but I, you know, I'm going to take the time to make sure that it's perfect for you. You know, they, they like to hear right. that. They they know that you're, you're, you're not just fobbing them off with a, with a substandard knife. They know that you care about the quality of the knife. Yeah, for sure. standing behind your decisions and, you know, being transparent, but also the kind of people who are buying a custom knife also know that you're not, that you're, you, you know, you're a hand, you're making something handmade. And generally speaking, the temperament is always very understanding. Like this Damascus knife, the guy was just like, he was more happy that I was, he thought I was a perfectionist. I was like, no, 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 I just, you know, what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and you just do your best. And I, I think it's also having to, you know, don't feel like a massive asshole. Just as if you're being honest and you're being transparent, it's like it is what it is. And, you know, generally speaking, I've never, I've never heard a, you know, look, there's 30% of people are, crazy so you're going to get some people with crazy uh, opinions that's so, that's one out of the three of us <laughs> yeah exactly you gotta, can you guess yeah. can you guess who it is well, go ahead that's fine i i got you i got you you're right you're right you're right so that's happy birthday by the way much. thank you very much george right. you senile yeah. fuck. oh senile that's for sure <laughs> all right i got one last question we get, no, no, I, it's fine i think you're serious i am a little senile though um i have one last question i think this is a good one. This is a fun one. Hey man, can I ask you a question? Hey man, can I ask you a question? This is from Running Man Forge. I love this question. If you could spend a few days with your favorite knife maker, what would you make? So you have to think about your favorite knife maker. What would you make? And it, you know, obviously, mm. you know, we don't have to. I try to. I, I, you know, can't all be with Mareko. You know, ha ha ha. ha. <laughs> uh, if you want me to start in, I actually got to look at this, so I thought about it. If you want me to start in. There's a guy, there's a guy, and I would only do this for the experience, but there's a guy, I think he's in Washington, and his Instagram handle is Island Blacksmith, and he's this, he's this young guy, young American, I would assume, or I don't know where he's from, it might be Canadian. He's, he's, he's Canadian, he's not Vancouver. So he's set up this, like, traditional Japanese barn. With like he built his own forge and it's like oh he makes his own charcoal and he does everything like traditional traditional and it's a little bit over the top and he wears like the sushi bandanas and he wears the like samurai clothes and he's walking around in ninja shoes and he's making these swords. He's ma- I'm, I'm, not, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. And he's making these crazy swords and like for the glue, he's finding, you know, tree leaves and he's mashing them into some paste and his clamps are like ropes and shit. And he's like, he's, he looks like a, uh, a, the most traditional dude of all time. And he's making his own charcoal and he, it's like completely, completely 100% legit. But he also, like, he'll do a little video of him from the legs down skateboarding in his ninja shoes. So, like, I would think that it would be a lot of fun to just hang out with him for a couple of days. I don't know if I can handle him much more than a couple of days of, like, the fucking ninja shoes and then, uh, you know, the, you know, traditional tools. I think I'd probably lose my mind, but I would love to hang out with that dude and, like, just kind of see what he's up to. But he is a, he's an intense, intense, intense uh sword maker, knife maker, and I, w- I just want to hang out with that dude. Hmm. I've been thinking, I think nice. um, Neil, Neil Kamamura, who I know Mareko's recently spent time yeah. with, 
Um, but I mean, if you look at his feed, you know, it looks like the most beautiful place. And he goes surfing, you know, on weekday, and it's it just it just sounds mm-hmm. just sounds like a great place to be. Um, and, it's a dream, man. It's so good. Yeah, and he just looks badass. His shop as well, you know. It's he it takes yeah. great photos to begin with, but yeah. it, everything just looks badass there. So I think spending a few days there, learning from him because his work's incredible too. It, w- it would be great. Yeah. Be you know, great. you know what the great thing about him is, is he sometimes he does a video with his son in it, and his son yes. always steals the yes. show, and it's so great. <laughs> and, I, and I always send him a message saying, "You got to keep your your son is the greatest. His son is he's funny and he yeah, makes some awesome. funny faces, and Manic. he says he'll yeah. say something. And the great part is, is you can tell how much Neil loves his kid because you know he's Neil's comes up with a very serious look, and he's got the. He, he looks like he's out of a Conan movie. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> the sun will make a ooh, will make a face or something. And you can see uh, Neil like just smiling and beaming at this kid. And it's fantastic. That's my favorite part of his videos is when his son make, gets in there. Yeah, yeah. They're very good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, uh, I, for, I mean, from my experience hanging with Neil, he's super thoughtful. He's incredibly hardworking. He's super smart. And he's really, really, really dedicated and interested in learning as much as he can about knife making and the craft. Um, and so he's just a really cool, it, it's cool to hang out with somebody who's kind of has fresh eyes mm. uh, in a way after I've been doing this for almost 10 years um, to kind of reignite kind of my own fire and see it through their eyes again and see it through fresh eyes again. But on top of that, yeah, being in Hawaii, it's beautiful there. Um, and the food is insane. Like the time I was there was probably like the best two weeks of eating in my entire oh. life. Not only is there tons of great food there, but Neil's an awesome cook. Uh, he made me the best tuna steak I ever had. It was the tuna steak was better than probably ninety nine percent of steaks, beef steaks I've ever eaten in my life. But I would advise against camembert on a tuna steak. <laughs> good call. Good Fish call. and cheese, Thank not God. a good call. Thank- God, that would be that's that's a bad that's bad right there. That's bad. So, Morocco, what about yourself? Uh, I'm torn between a couple Go, of people. Give them both. Um, but all right. So, well, first, there's this swordsmith in I think he's in New Brunswick, Canada, named Jake Pounding. I don't know if he's even making anymore. Or he occasionally makes, but he does the some of the best carved hand carved. Uh, handles and uh, lost wax castings that I've ever seen. And he does a lot of like Celtic slash Viking and medieval style swords, but he, he, uh, he's kind of like a, a super nerd in a way. And I love it because he creates all these narratives and these stories around uh, these swords that he builds. And, but the carving, the carving is amazing. And uh, we'll definitely make sure to link everybody up. But the carvings are so good. And I've always wanted to learn how to do those kind of relief carvings. And he, the, the aesthetic that he achieves is absolutely what I would love to be able to do someday. And so I would love to go work with him, especially for the, the carving, the, the relief carving. Um, and then the other, I think, oh, man. So there's a pair of makers in Europe, and they, they're super tight. Uh, and I'm going to com- put them together as one unit because they do a lot of work together. But it's uh, Jean-Louis Regal. Uh, he's in France. And then Veronique Laurent is from Belgium. And they both 
they do very similar uh, construction styles and but just like to me their work uh, in the entire world might be the best wow. <laughs> it's just and you see it on at the shows and uh, at least in my opinion and and you see it at the show firsthand and I look at it and my jaws on the floor the whole time I'm trying not to drool on it and my eyeballs are popping out of my face and I'm just trying to wrap my head around how they do everything and they're very happy to show you how they do it and they, they actually build everything as a takedown so you can take all the individual parts and stuff and these are definitely kind of more on the art knife stop, uh, end of the spectrum um, because when it comes to, you know, like a, a hard-use Bowie knife or a camp knife, you don't want it necessarily to be full-on takedown with like 40 different pieces in the handle. Mm. But just, uh, especially Jean-Louis, like his work just blows my mind. So that's where, it's all foreigners. <laughs> I would go hang out with a bunch of foreigners. Mm-hmm. Sounds yeah. good. Nice. That sounds good. Community Showcase. Um, so, Community Showcase. So, over the last few weeks, we've been having um, makers from the community, which we've been showcasing. Um, but this week, we're going to be something slightly different again, because we're going to have um, a maker of some of some machinery that we all use. So, for the last, I'd say, maybe two, three months, I've been looking for a new grinder. Um, and there's, you know, there's not that many sort of recognized brands out there who make who make grinders um that are a affordable um and b that are just gonna do it right and they're gonna last um so i've come across one which is um am concepts amk concepts um and they do a very very affordable um grinder they're american made I i think they could be run by a family actually um but they look completely solid these machines and they're as i say they're very affordable so that's the community showcase this week. Um, looking on Instagram, they don't seem to have many followers, which is which really surprised me because I know some a lot of people use their grinders. I mean, we just talked about Neil Kamamura; he uses one of their grinders, yeah. um, and I think Mareko's. Have you used that grinder, Mareko? I have used that grinder, and actually, when I was working at Neil's shop, um, and I think there's kind of new kids on the block, so that might explain why uh, they don't have a ton of followers on Instagram. But Maybe. they make a good machine, and I think what's really cool is that they're continually they're taking feedback and adjusting things. And but they they make a great grinder just off the get, um, and it's the it the the way it interacts. You can go from a flat grinding platen to a large wheel grinding uh, or large grinding wheel hmm. uh, in like three seconds because it's on a swivel arm that pivots around or you can exchange out the, the flat platen with the small wheel. So you can go from a, a 10 inch wheel to a half inch wheel uh, again, just by pivoting that arm around. It's really, it's a very interesting, um, uh, it's, it's just, it's so different. I really think it's really cool. And it's an interesting approach to grinders and how, just trying to figure out how to make it, I guess, more streamlined because like I myself built my, my first grinder, my only grinder I have, and it has like four or five tooling arms. And the only way to use those tooling arms is take one out, mm-hmm. put the other one up and take it out and put, but to be able to just pivot things around and just to even just take out that one step, just it makes the whole process less of a pain to do when it's just streamlined and, and something as uh, simple as changing out a tooling arm is just 
super yeah, easy. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but it, it's a great machine, and I had a lot of fun working on it and learning how to use it. And yeah, cool. It's it's nice. So go follow AM Concepts and Concepts is with a K, so it's AM Concepts on Instagram. Um, and if anybody has somebody they'd like to see highlighted, whether it's a maker or a maker of machinery or whatever it may be, get in contact with the show because we really want to sort of highlight the people who aren't getting the eyes on their on their work that they should be getting. Marengo's notes to a new knife maker. Okay, so last week we talked about the the coffee etch and my Damascus etching. Uh, and I just want to take a second to get more specific about how I do that exactly right now. Um, and the reason is because I've, you know, ever since I started, I've been changing things up and experimenting with different things, especially with the coffee. Um, and so I've, I just wanted to go, kind of go over what exactly I'm doing right now that I've, that's been helping me to get the best results. And so I'll just start. So when I have my knife hand sanded, I hand sanded, uh, Damascus up to 800 grit at least. Um, and so essentially I, I scrub it really good with 600 and then finish with long strokes down the blade at 600. And then I don't scrub around at 800. I just follow the 600 strokes with 800 strokes. Um, just to kind of give it more of a smoother satin finish, um, from, from the 600. And then I put my knife in the acid. Uh, I have it diluted down to about nine to one. So typically people do a four to one distilled water or water to, to ferrochloric acid uh, ratio. I've, I take that and I cut it in half, which makes it essentially a nine to one. So it's 10 parts total, uh, one part ferric, nine parts distilled water. And I've been finding that e- even possibly going more I'm actually looking at potentially going more diluted uh, just because I've been getting such great results with a more diluted solution. And I don't mind taking the time uh, to let it sit in the acid for like maybe an extra 40 minutes or so uh, to make that acid etch just really nice and clean. And actually, I was uh, my buddy Salem Straub, uh, who's an awesome maker. uh, He also. Yeah, he's a beast. He he conferred. He's like, yeah, man, just uh, diluting that solution down. I've been getting better and better results. So that just helped me bolster my confidence in that because basically I just kind of did it by accident <laughs> and it worked out great. So uh, so I etch until I used to. So when Jeff, when you were talking to Jared Thatcher, he was talking about how uh, he had a conversation with me at Blade Show about etching until my, you know, my fingernails catching on it. I've actually backed off and stopped etching it so deep. So it's just, it's until I can kind of feel a little bit of texture just with my fingertips uh, across the blade. But I've been finding that if it goes too deep, especially for chef's knives, uh, it can actually be kind of counterproductive to uh, the performance of the knife because then all of those little ridges and essentially the topography of the blade um, acts as little fingers and create a little bit more friction in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, as to how uh, that knife is performing and cuts through the huh. food, so I've, yeah, so I've I've cut that back until it's just got a light texture and also I don't know it's not it's really not necessary. I, I used to to etch super deep to try to help hold the contrast of the color, but now with the coffee, 
you, you don't need to etch super deep to get a high contrast that holds and is super durable. And so, so from now, so that's, so that's my ferric process. So I etch until it's got the depth I want. It varies because the, the acid's out in the shop. Uh, it's not in a consistent temperature. So if it's in summertime, it etches quicker. If it's in the wintertime, it etches a little slower. Um, but I etch more than anything, not based on time, but based on depth and topography across the blade. Uh, and then once I, I have the texture or the topography, the depth that I want from the ferric, I go straight into, uh, I have a, a five-gallon bucket of uh, baking soda water or bisodium carbonate uh, for you, uh, Craig, um, and water. And You just do that British accent again. I try. <laughs> Could I? Go for it. Bisodium carbonate. Nice, nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably horrible. Sorry. Uh, but anyways, baking soda water to neutralize that that dilute it's already diluted acid so it doesn't really take much more than maybe a few like 10 20 seconds to neutralize that acid um but then i wet sand it with uh a broken down uh 2500 grit sandpaper so when i say broken down that means i take i have a a small sheet of 2500 grit sandpaper uh it's wet sanding paper so it can hold up in wet sanding i cut little like one inch by one inch squares, and I sand them against themselves to break down any kind of weird inconsistencies there might be in the surface of that sandpaper. And then I uh, hand sand, or not like, I don't go crazy, but just, you know, wet sand in little swirls and circles uh, the the blade to get a nice even polish, but I don't want to take it too high. I don't want to burnish it. Like, you, like, what would be the result if you dry sanded it you would burnish the surface and once you start doing that it the uh, the coffee doesn't play nicely um on a burnished surface so you just want to wet sand everything so it's nice and even um but the 15 is in 20 it looks nice and clean and bright um and then i dry it off and then i put the the blade into the coffee solution so to start off my coffee solution is one seven ounce container of nescafe's Classico Dark Roast. You can get it at pretty much any grocery store, and you can actually get it pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, but I've I've had the best and most consistent results with the Nescafe Classico, and so I I bring that up, up to a boil with like a, a quart of water or a liter of water, and then I uh, and then I add another quart or another liter, essentially. So it's half a gallon of water to a whole container of that instant coffee. Um, and so it's a really strong concentration. And then I, I have a three-inch tube, PVC tube with a cap on the bottom that I use as my coffee etching tank. And then, um, but what I, what you want to do, what I've started doing is letting it cool down, not just down to room temperature, but actually like um, down to forty degrees, essentially uh, Fahrenheit. That what what your fridge holds. Mm-hmm. And so I put, I bring it down to. Uh, the temperature of a fridge and I actually cool it down in the fridge and then when I want to use it I pull it out I pour it into that PVC tube container I let it do its thing for essentially a couple hours and when I pull it out um, I check it periodically even though I let it go for a couple hours on on average I check it periodically just to make sure it's consistent and it's not messing with the 15 and 20 or whatever your silver portion of your Damascus pattern is um, and once it has the contrast that I want, 
I, I make sure that I'm right next to my uh, uh, sodium carbonate. I can't get that on my head. Or baking soda water. Uh, and I s go straight out of the coffee as quickly as possible right into my baking soda uh, water solution. And then the next, there's actually another step after that. And I go straight into another container that is clean water, uh, super clean, no baking soda or anything. It's just fresh tap water. And I rinse it in there as well because I've had issues. And this is all cold because you don't un uh, accidentally want any kind of weird residue if, uh, being left on the surface of the blade as maybe a hot water or, or warm water would evaporate. So I do it all cold. Uh, and so I... I, I rinse it in the clean water and then immediately wipe it off with a paper towel. And paper towel is, I think I said this before, but it's kind of my litmus test as to how well that finish is holding. And I've been I've been getting that coffee contrast to get really nice and black, high contrast, and it does not wipe out. I've I've even actually buffed it um, with with a loose sewn uh, or a loose cotton wheel or a mop, as Craig would say, and uh, with either l very little uh, polishing, probably like a, a, a scratchless rouge, which is usually the pink, mm -hmm. or pretty much, or just do a dry buff, which is no compound at all. And um, it looks it looks great. It comes out great. It's, it's very durable, um, and it's food safe. Like, the reason I've been doing the coffee is because it's so food safe. You know, I don't have to worry about... So there are a lot of different ways to darken blades and a lot of different ways that people use to darken blades that use these uh, kind of chemicals that are kind of nasty. You wouldn't want to consume these because mm. they'll fuck you up. But, uh, I mean, I mean <laughs> the, the instant coffee at that concentration, you probably don't want to drink it, but I guarantee you could probably take a shot of it. It's not going to be the best you've ever drank in the world, but it's not going to kill you or really mess you up. Um, so... Uh, that's why I've really started sticking with the coffee process to get that contrast um, because it gets good results and it's and, it's and don't use that gun glue. Uh, oh yeah, Definitely yeah. Not. Don't. Oh my god. Don't you don't use gun blue. Uh, there are a lot of different processes people use, and they just they may be safe. They may be not. A lot of people's uh, essentially their reasoning is once it's once whatever the acid is is neutralized, it's neutralized. But I keep thinking, like, I don't know. It's just, I, it's just unknown if it's actually food safe. And so I'm gonna use food to get my contrast that I want, so I know that I'm not poisoning anybody. You know, you should do the so, new Nescaf Nescafe ad. You know, I, I didn't realize George Clooney. <laughs> get rid of George Clooney and get Morocco on on screen. Instead. I didn't realize it was. A, <laughs> oh, I didn't realize it was an iced coffee bath. I thought you were putting it in uh, at room temperature or warmer. Well, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. You can get results at all the different temperatures. And I've gotten great results at all the various, like at 180 degrees or, you know, stand, like room temperature, 60, 70 degrees, and as well as cold. And most recently, um, I've been doing the cold just because I'm a big dummy and it makes the process kind of dummy proof. Um, and it's great. It's, again, I've been getting really good and consistent results. It's it's less fussy doing it cold, and it looks awesome. So if anybody tries this process and they're getting good results or you got any questions, definitely hit me up or tag me. I would love to see what you're doing because um, 
you know, it's it's just I, part of the reason I I do sh- I share what I share is because I kind of would I want to help people do what they can to create the best knives that they're capable of because I think there's plenty of room and opportunity for great knives to be out there in the world. I still I I come up against tons of people who think that there are only you know maybe a thousand people in the world who are interested in buying knives and it's <laughs> it's not it's millions of people it's literally millions of people. And so there's no no concern when it comes to oh they're stealing my comp or, you know my customers and like you're doing a fucking bad job if you're relying on ten people instead of the whole fucking world that's interested in your work <laughs> yeah I start get worked call. up start get worked up it drives me crazy when people do that though it's just turned into a beef so, that's it's it. turned into a beef oh. yeah and I'm starting to turn to a beef. <gasps> Right, beefs this way. We're going to keep this quick because we've got another show coming up soon, which is going to be all beefs. So I'm going to start off with my beef. And my beef is unsolicited tagging on Instagram, especially for like competitions. You know, where people say tag three other makers with a chance, you know, you've got a chance to win (laughs) this. And then I I open up my Instagram and I've just got all these tags from people I've never even spoken to. A lot of people I've, I've never heard of. And I'm I'm just being tagged in these random competitions, that kind of thing. It's weird. Mm. It's really weird. If you can't think it, of three people, I get that too. If you can't think of three people who are you are close <laughs> enough to to you know recommend for this competition. Don't don't do it. Jeez. Exactly. Exactly. I no. I've definitely gotten that. And if it's somebody I know. I give them a hard time. I'm like, dude, why are you tagging me in your shampoo product uh, ad? Like, I don't care about that. Leave me alone. Yeah. And if it's somebody I don't know, I, I take, I, I mark the comment as spam, and then I block them. Oh, I don't, I don't need that. Oh, sh- oh I don't need that. girl, cut that beef. That's a that's a that's a, that's a hard <laughs> thing to do. I, I, I generally, I generally just Roasting curse my. Beef. I just say, hey, motherfuckers, and then I walk away. That's usually what I do. <laughs> Well, these things we talk about, these beefs, and this is an old beef, and this beef has to do with, sometimes I'll get a message from someone saying, I'd I'd love to come down and and visit your smithy. And, and (laughs) hey man, what are you talking about? I don't have a smithy. I don't have a smithy. I don't call it a smithy. (laughs) I'm not a smith, and I'm not a smithy. And these people have this idea of what we do, and it also brings back me back to an old uh, class I used to help assist. And I was, you know, we were getting ready for the morning and the assisting class. I was trying to find some soapstone, and I was putting soapy water in all the all this propane tanks, make sure there were any leaks and leak check. Da-da-da. And I look over, and there's this guy walks in, and he's just looking around this blacksmith shop, and he's just like breathing in deep and nodding his head and then he goes picks up a hammer and then he puts he kneels down by a anvil and he puts one hand on the anvil and he puts the other he puts the hammer against his head and he's just you can tell that he's doing some sort of weird prayer to Thor I don't know what the fuck he's talking about so so all of a sudden I'm, I'm checking all these leaks and I'm watching him and he's just like nodding his head yes 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 and I said hey man are you okay and he goes yes 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 my my, this is in my blood. This is in my blood. This is, I'm so, I feel like I was always meant to be here. I'm like, oh yeah? You were, is that right? You were meant to be an introduction to, to, to making coat, hook, coat rack, pot rack, ass hooks? That's what, that's what, I, that's what you're, that's what Vikings used to do. You used to make all this. People think this is like, 
you know, it's all lightning bolts and high fives. This is a lot of fucking bullshit. And no, you, and it's all my fault too because <laughs> when I graduated from art school and I had a BA and an art major and I, I referred to my shop as my studio and I'd call it stu- my studio. I'm going to the studio. I'm going to the studio and the gallery's coming to have a studio visit. And I, stop the nonsense. I, this is my shop. And if you call it a smithy or a studio, you're not allowed. Don't just leave me alone. I, I call mine a studio. <laughs> My fucking mine's studio. A studio. <laughs> well, you know, but you're both crazy. That's fine. I do what you got to do. This is a shop. It's. The I f- think the difference with with mine is is all of mine are stock removal. Um, I start I start the process on a computer. I use you know I got you know 3D printers and, and laser engravers that kind of stuff. So. To me, it's not a traditional, you know, workshop. It's to me, it's it's my life studio. So I, it's a studio to me. <laughs> Craig's in the studio. The studio. In the studio. Studio. Well, it isn't a goddamn smithy. And you so don't, don't call it a fucking smithy. You know you can't visit my smithy. I don't have a smithy. This is 2018, for God's sake. Stop it. Stop the nonsense. Oh, beefs. All right. So I don't know. Jeff might be able to jump in on this Sweet. one. Um, to help me out, but um, it drives me nuts uh, when people kind of refer to themselves uh, ephemerally as an artist. I'm an artist. <laughs> I'm like, this is a kind of worms for Jeff. This one, <laughs> and and it, it's, I guess what drives me crazy is I I've, I have friends who. Or I've, I've heard people discuss their artistry or the level of their artisticness by how much they're struggling. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? You're creating something. You're an artist if you're creating something, I feel like. And so, like, just own it or don't, but you don't need to walk around pontificating to people about how much of an artist you are by how much you're struggling or just saying that you're an artist. Shut up! <laughs> well, you know they don't call them struggling accountants. They call them struggling artists. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, yeah. you know, that's but, the that's the. I mean, Jeff, you come from this art world. Uh, can you can you help me? Yeah, with this? I can help you with uh, it. I want to understand totally what's going on. I'll tell you. You want the the short answer is is when you become an artist. If you're a visual artist or you're a performing artist you have a higher degree of narcissism than your normal human being. So you need to, you need to express your, you, you feel the importance of expressing yourself. And not only do you feel the importance of expressing yourself, but you feel like everybody else needs to see your expression too and honor you for your expressing-ness. So the problem is, is, and we'll have to go in another, I can't do, I can't do this the whole th- today because we're, we're getting ready to go. But it's, it's a, it's, it's, yeah. it comes from, it comes, it, it ultimately, it comes from a higher level of narcissism than normal. And it's, 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 I, listen, nobody hates me more than me. So I understand that completely. So it's, it's, it's annoying. And when you're dealing with these artists and you're dealing with that whole idea of I'm a, I, 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 I have to struggle more because my 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 this is your beef. You do your own beef. I, <laughs> I, I, I feel you, man. It's annoying. It's fucking annoying. It's annoying. I hate it. That's it. That's all I got. That's, that's good. It. I think I just, that's great. It, it annoys me. I, I just want to try to understand from a, 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 a plebeian uh, position. Cause, look, it's it's it's. It's very exciting to feel good about yourself, and it's very exciting to make something, and it's very exciting to ex- express your creativity. But ultimately, 
nobody cares. That's what you have to realize, you <laughs> artists out there. We don't care about you. We don't care about your struggles. We don't care about your genius. Leave us alone. Make your art. Do what you got to do, but leave Mareko alone. He doesn't care about your struggles. He doesn't care. <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You care because you're a narcissist. And leave it alone. Beef over. What have you done, Marek? What have you done? Yeah, Dan? you fucking got me all <laughs> fired up. God damn you. I'm just getting them. I'm gearing them, gearing them We're up. We're going to have to do a whole art episode, and I'm just going to lose my fucking mind. And I'm going to be at the end of the episode, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take my computer and throw it across the room. It's the therapy session. I, I have been curious to better understand your position on on <sighs> art and what qualifies as an art. We don't have to get into right, it now, right. but I think that well, would be good to know, better understand where you're coming I, from. I, someday I'm going to have to go through the whole. I've had I have such a negative. I, I've been such a negative opinion later in life <laughs> about the art world based on my experience with galleries and museums and these. These leeches, these leeches in the art world. And, and basically what it comes down to is, and we've got to wrap this thing up soon, but the artists, you have to understand that artists are bad business people. That's the reason why they have galleries. That's the reason why they have brokers. That's the, the reason why they have dealers. Because you're creative and people will say to you, you're so creative, you shouldn't have to worry about business. And what happens <laughs> is they get fleeced. So artists end up becoming mm. closer to prostitutes than they are as creative people who are being represented well. And I, it's fucking intense. And, and, and I get dark, and I, I have I actually have some awesome stories, but now's not the time. We're going to have to radio tease that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe next maybe next week. Or something. Yeah, let's, let's, go, let's go into detail about art and how that winds Jeff up. We're going to finish this show with one question from the forum. <laughs> so the forum, for those who don't know, is forum.knifetalk.net. And there's a bunch of people on there. They'll answer any questions that you have. Um, and it's a nice little community. But Caleb has asked, and it's a really long question, so I'm just going to condense this a bit. But he's asking what we do with our used grinder belts. And he goes on to talk about waste and so on. So is there anything that can be done besides just throwing them in the bin? What do you guys think? I, I, I make necla- necklaces out of them. He weaves a basket. He makes, some, he makes some of those African baskets with the, he puts on his head with the, with the grinder belt. <laughs> no, what you do, you, you tear the seat out of a chair, and then you take the X-weight belts, like the 36s, mm. the worn-out ones. You weave those, and then you got an ass-scratching seat. So anytime you got... <laughs> I'm not mad at that. That's not a bad Brilliant. idea. That's not Brilliant. a bad idea. You could even do a bench... Do a bench and do it and scratch your ass with a friend. Oh my god! Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we call that the, that's the uh, the poison ivy bench when you get the poison ivy on your. I don't think you can do anything with those belts. You know, I Nothing. I tried to no. I tried to rip them down to to use to to for handle carving or you can't do shit with them. Can't do shit with them. It's yeah. over. Yeah. Once the brace. Yeah, once it braces, we gotta dead, figure something dead. out. There's we gotta figure something out. Maybe this, maybe this is our calling to find out what you can. Maybe use as wallpaper. You know, I don't know what you can <laughs> oh do. Oh my god! But yeah, it's, and I hate throwing belts out too because they're they're expensive and you know it's, it's it is a lot of waste. But you know, just use them as, as much as you can. So I I generally use my old worn out belts. I'll, I'll use them to the until you know the the dying depths of their grit there so i'll use them for profiling that kind of stuff how, you know, how big shaping. is your pile of disgusting used belts oh. i i I've, recently we just had, got rid of ours I at the shop had, i actually ordered incorrectly and i had to wait a few days and i was going through the old belts like feeling them oh, yeah, i got a little bit left in this i got a little bit left in this 
And it was just like it was this giant pile, and they all ended up on the floor. And it was like, oh my god, I got I got to start now. When they're really old, I just rip them in two, just so I can't possibly try to use them again. But that's it. That's a show. So a reminder of the forum at forum.knifetalk.net, the t-shirts at knifetalk.net, um, to follow the three of us. So it's Craig and I'm at Chop Knives. There's Moreco, who's at Momassi Fire Arts, and Jeff is at Fader Knives, all on Instagram. And we should speak to you all again soon. Hasta la vista. Peace. Jeffries! You got butter candles. Blow them out. You got butter candles. Blow them out. Everybody at the party starts to gather round. Puffin, puffin. Jeffries! Blow them out. It's your birthday, let's get crazy I'll take the day off, they're gonna fire me I came to pin the tail on the donkey Shake until the Richter scale jumps off on me You got butter candles, blow them out You got butter candles, blow them out Everybody at the party starts to gather round Puffin, puffin, blow them out When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.